This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning and the last bottom line before we take our summer sabbatical. What a lovely morning it is. The sun is shining and we're all set for a great weekend across Kilkenny and Carlow. It's a big, no wait, an absolutely huge day for Kilkenny hurling tomorrow in Crow Park as the Cats take on Limerick and also, of course, the Camogie Girls today in Semple Stadium take on Dublin. Best of luck to all in the black and amber, not forgetting Carlow, of course. We'll have full coverage this evening of round four of the JJ Kavanagh and Sons Senior Hurling Championship. So, packed weekend of sport, not forgetting Irish rugby. And yes, it's uh, it's actually not fake news. Ireland are 22-3 ahead of New Zealand at half time. An absolutely fantastic performance so far. Thanks to Ashling Kelly for the last two hours. Ireland's easiest quiz climbing up again. 700, I think, next week. And don't forget, at 10 o'clock this morning, Edward Hayden brings you a Saturday show with the difference as he broadcasts from his home base in beautiful Greg Namana. Do drop along and say hello to Edward if you're in the area. But before we head to Greg Namanet this morning on the bottom line, we've got lots for you between now and 10 o'clock. Given the weekend that's in it, we talked to David Dowling about his business, The Star Hurley. Founded by his grandfather almost 60 years ago, The Star Hurley makes hurls for a galaxy of Kilkenny stars, including TJ Reid and Padraig Walsh. We'll hear about the business and get some interesting facts and insights. Brian O'Farrell will join us from Carlow Chamber to talk business sentiment, resilience and the forthcoming Carlo Business Awards. We'll be urging you to get on your bike and hearing about the launch of Kilkenny's cycle-friendly city campaign to help make Kilkenny a safer, greener city and about how you can become a cycle-friendly employer. And at around 9.30, Edwina Grace will be bringing you a black and amber news with thanks to Glambia and Avonmore protein milk. But first, uh, to Jim Power, a regular contributor and a hugely respected economist to this programme. Jim is uh, talking to me just before we came on air and we were discussing how since the beginning of the year it's been an absolutely tumultuous time for the Irish, European and indeed world economy. And as Manny head into a summer break, I asked him what he thinks are the big issues as he sees it. As the doll breaks for the summer break this week, um, obviously the big story is that inflation in June hit the highest rate in 38 years at 9.1%. So we're back at where we were in the second quarter of 1984. Uh, that that's an absolutely incredible statistic, and uh, it's qu- it's quite clear that it's um, electricity, housing, transport are the big contributors. But food is now starting to become much more significant. Um, so if if you go down through the annual increases to June, um, rents are up 11.9%, electricity 40.9%, natural gas 61%, home heating oil over 115%, um, petrol 44%, diesel just over 50%. So it goes on and on, but it's quite clear that the impact of the Ukraine crisis is still feeding in very, very strongly into the inflation side. And I think I've said to you in the last couple of interviews that I believe food was going to be one of the crunch points coming up 
this year. And yesterday we saw the annual rate of inflation jump to 6.8%. That's the highest rate we've seen in decades. Uh, flour is up by 13.8%. Bread, 11.4%. Meat is up 9.8%. So inflation is the big story. And I feel looking out over the remainder of this year, I think there would be two key crunch areas. One is energy and the second is going to be food Mm. because this week the central statistics office as well as publishing the consumer price index they also published input cost to agriculture so this is what farmers have to pay to produce the food and overall input costs were up by almost 42 percent with energy up 51 percent and fertilizer costs up 164%. So if the cost of producing food is going up that dramatically, well, obviously it is going to, it is, and will continue to feed through into higher food Mm. prices. So without a doubt, John, uh, the big story as the doll breaks for the summer recess is inflation. And and some of the most uh, eye-popping figures there are in relation to energy, you know, increases of 40 to 70%. Some views that we've seen the worst of it, but the, the underlying truth is we're kind of depending on Vladimir Putin uh, and, and what pans out in Ukraine. He may decide to cut off the energy supply. Uh, there are some pressures maybe from the other side that maybe we shouldn't be taking energy from, from Russia. Uh, the future is very uncertain in relation to that aspect of, of uh, you know, and that impacts on food as well. Yeah, of course it does, yeah. Um, the, the the point, on, on, I guess, on an optimistic note, but I wouldn't take too much optimism from it, um, oil prices over the last few days have been trending down again, and that's because the markets are pricing in a global recession later this year into next year, and during recession, the demand for energy falls anyway, and that's why prices are moving to reflect that. Um, I think that there's a much bigger issue here. Obviously, global recession would not be good news, but I think there are serious question marks over the supply of energy coming in, in Europe particularly, coming into the winter. Um, it is estimated that, you know, the, the, the Europe, okay, Europe builds up a stock of energy, natural gas, particularly going into the winter, and generally, there would be ease if you've achieved four-fifths of your potential, okay? But it's estimated now that Europe will be lucky to have two-thirds of its energy stockpile going into the winter. And the reason for that is because the Nordstrom gas pipeline from Russia into Germany um, is closing for maintenance, and there is a question mark over whether it reopens or not. There is a, a moral question mark over whether Europe should totally ban energy imports from Russia. Um, Nuclear plants in France are shut down for maintenance reasons. And um, what we've seen increasingly in global energy markets, in European markets particularly, is that Europe has been trying to source um, LNG, liquefied natural gas, from the United States. But a major supplier in Texas, the plant burned down a few weeks ago. So you'd have to say, John, that anything that could go wrong on the energy front is going wrong at the moment. And my fear going into the winter is not, I hope I'm wrong, but my fear is not the price of energy, it's actually the availability of energy, because there is a distinct possibility we might see the rationing of energy, particularly for big energy users and from an economic perspective, that would be 
pretty disastrous. Uh, and and that's not out of the question. I mean, you know, no. electricity, for example, um, I, I was talking to somebody recently who in California, there were times, now it wasn't due to economic shocks, I think it was environmental or supply shocks, but they, they couldn't count on having electricity the whole time. I know as well South Africa having problems. So it's it's a reality. Uh, but this time, the, 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 the reason could be political. Yes, it could. I mean, m- many electricity grids around Europe, particularly here in Ireland, operate on a knife edge. Mm. And it doesn't take much to go wrong to disrupt the supply of electricity. And as I said, everything is kind of going wrong at the moment. So there, there is a distinct possibility we could see um, electricity cuts and energy rationing. Um, I hope I'm being a bit extreme in this, but I think these are things we need to think about going into the winter. Yeah. And, and, and I also think that the big lesson the world needs to learn from this is that we do need to reduce our dependence on imported fossil fuels, particularly when we're importing from countries that are politically unstable. And of course, the reality is that many of the countries who export fossil fuels are politically unstable. And Mm. uh, obviously, Russia is the prime example at the moment. And Joe Biden in Saudi Arabia as we speak. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, Holding his nose, but realising that it's important for energy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And that just shows how desperate we are. So we, we really have got to push this alternative energy agenda. Yeah. I mean, we, we do need to reduce our dependence. We do need to move beyond this spirit of nimbyism that's against every sort of alternative energy development. Yeah, now last week on the programme we discussed uh, the Central Bank of Ireland's quarterly bulletin, uh, which also looked ahead, uh, and they said economic growth is set to continue, but slower than previously forecast, and there is higher inflation, and I think they saw it kind of tailing off towards the end of the year while admitting that, you know, political uh, issues and, and stuff with Ukraine could derail that. Do you think that's too sanguine and too optimistic, or, or how do you feel about the future? future of the well, Irish economy? The, the, the big quandary for me over the last six months has been the fact that internationally anything that can go wrong is going wrong. You know, you look at financial markets, interest rates rising, equity markets under serious pressure, commodity prices elevated, uh, central banks starting to move more aggressively and we're likely to get an ECB rate increase next week and more to come over the coming months. So internationally, there's so much to worry about. But domestically, the economy is still, at least on the surface, doing very well. The multinational size of the economy is booming. Um, the export size of the economy at the back of that is booming. Consumer spending is holding up reasonably well, although consumer confidence is suffering because people are um, justifiably worried about the future. So I, I think it's inevitable mm. that... Um, Ireland will start to be impacted by those global developments and I would expect to see in the next 6-12 months um, a significant easing of growth in this country. Um, I don't think um, we're likely to move back into the sort of scenario that we lived through after 2007-2008 That's good. uh, Because you know, the housing market has not been fueled by a credit bubble this time. Uh, The banking sector would appear to be in a reasonable state of health so we're not going to get a banking crisis this time as we did the last time and um, I also think the multinational presence here is is just such an important anchor Mm. and of course we have 144 billion in personal savings in the banking system which is by far the highest level we've ever had so there's lots of reasons 
to be relatively optimistic that Ireland will not go into a deep and meaningful recession. But I think it is kind of inevitable over the coming months that you will see an easing of activity um, because that's what logic would suggest. Yeah. And I have to say, if Ireland continue to deliver the sort of economic performance it is currently delivering six months down the road, I would be surprised. Yeah. But I have been surprised in the past, so who knows? Yeah, and I've heard you talk with Chris Johns on your podcast, The Other Hand, about uh, the difficulty of forecasting and how difficult it is to forecast. And I'd like to maybe close off by talking about the parallels between economic forecasting and forecasting who's going to win uh, the All-Ireland. I mean, <laughs> early in the in the year, there's a, a county man of your, your own, Derek McGrath, who seemed to forecast that Waterford were going to uh, steamroller everyone. That didn't come to pass. It was a bit like a, a recession that never that happened. Problem, John. <laughs> or a boom that never happened. What are your feelings? I know you're a keen hurling man on, on forecasting tomorrow. Okay, first thing I would say about the economic forecasting piece is that one word describes the future and that is uncertainty. Um, in terms of Sunday's game, which I'm going along to, and I grew up across the river from Kilkenny, always had an affinity. Are you wearing uh, any neutral colours? Well, uh, let me finish, okay? (laughs) I'm I'm in a difficult position. I I always had huge respect for Kilkenny teams, going back to Noel Skihan and Eddie Kerr and all these guys. They were heroes of mine when I was a kid growing up uh, because we had very little in Waterford. (laughs) Um, My wife is in Limerick, so uh, that puts... uh, So we can count on your support in Kilkenny then, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's actually I was at the semi-final between Limerick and Galway and um, it was great being there as a neutral and I'll be there as a neutral on um, Sunday as well you'd have to say on paper Limerick will take beating because they are the team to beat but um, with a Cody Kilkenny team you know and it's definitely a better team than it was two or three years ago and indeed than it was last year so nothing would surprise me because I think the Cats will give it a real, real lash. Uh, but I, if you were to pin me to it, I'd say I would reckon Limerick will win narrowly. Yeah, but you never know, do you? And and, no. and that's the that's the beauty of hurling. And I suppose that's the beauty of life because, I mean, I suppose bring it back to economics. Um, I remember when COVID broke, you would expect that the world was going to end uh, with, the, yes. with the lockdowns that happened in the economy. But people somehow found a way through. Well, they did indeed. That's human nature, you yeah. know. Uh, absolutely, uh, and um, we we will come through these current economic difficulties. And uh, so, yeah. Well, um, Jim, uh, thanks for joining us as usual, and uh, do enjoy the the match. And uh, we'll be scanning the crowd to s- try and get a picture of you and your Limerick colours. Although I don't know if your support <laughs> I won't goes be that Limerick far. Colours, believe me, <laughs> <laughs> a bridge too far. And uh, how's your wife feeling about it, Jim? Uh, given given, you know, obviously a, a historic three in a row on the agenda for Limerick. Uh, she won't be able to watch the game. Too nervous. Too nervous. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, really, isn't it? Well, look, Jim, enjoy, and thanks for joining us on the bottom line. You're welcome, John, and I hope all your listeners enjoy the game on Sunday. Jim Power have been very graceful about the lump in his throat with Waterford not being in the All-Ireland, but he'll be at the match nonetheless and hopefully secretly uh, hoping for Kilkenny to win. We're going to be coming back and we're talking about how you need to get on your bike for all sorts of reasons with Michael O'Boyle, who's the Managing Director of Cycling Solutions Ireland. 
The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. We're going to talk about getting on your bike now. I mentioned uh, Michael O'Boyle is joining me in the studio. He's the Managing Director of Cycling Solutions Ireland. And on Monday, uh, he's launching On Your Bike. It's a campaign which Minister Malcolm Noonan is launching, which is Kilkenny's cycle-friendly city campaign, and it involves loads of people, including Kilkenny Chamber and a variety of other uh, organisations. Michael, you're welcome to the programme. Tell us a bit about uh, your company, Cycling Solutions Ireland, and where it fits into business. Yeah, good morning, John. Um, Cycling Solutions Ireland is uh, is actually based in Kilkenny. Um, we have we are the national coordinators for a Europe-wide project called Cycle Friendly Employer. Uh, there is one uh, national coordinator for each country in Europe. And the Cycle Friendly Employer is really the second part or second phase of the Bike to Work scheme. Uh, in Europe, the Bike to Work scheme and, and in Ireland was hugely successful and continues to be. And you probably would have been familiar with a lot of uh, supply chain reports about uh, bike supply over the last uh, over the pandemic and uh, that really just is a result of the take up of the bike to work scheme and a huge um, a, a great time for biking really because fuel is costing so high the need to reduce our carbon footprints people uh, you know aware of the benefits of fitness and cycling a very good thing for fitness as well yeah, for sure. We're, we're seeing it with uh, employers uh, that, y- you know, initially they w- would look at this as a as part of their sort of wellness initiative uh, within the, the workplace. But now you're seeing employers uh, really taking it on board because employees are, are, are looking for alternatives to uh, the car because of the cost of uh, the energy uh, increase. And also the, the red flags that we've had about, uh, you know, the climate and the environment and even the warnings we're getting this week and, and listen to Jim Power there uh, in the, in the uh, clip beforehand. You know, he's talking about uh, energy costs. It's really, really important, not only on the wellness side, but also for the employees, uh, um, you know, cost base. And how does uh, an employer become a cycle-friendly employer and what do they have to do? Yeah, it's it's a pretty straightforward process. There are three steps in it. Uh, we have uh, a, a an online free self-evaluation. Self-evaluation is broken down into six categories and each, each of the categories, uh, there's a number of questions and all those questions are, are points weighted and uh, they they answer those questions that they submit the uh, self-evaluation we get that and within 24 hours uh, the employer will get a summary report then we catch up with the, the employer on a, a Zoom call or a Teams call and we go through the report and really what we're looking for is the questions that they haven't scored any points on that's what we're really drilling down on because we give them the answers and we give them the solutions to those areas that they haven't scored and the idea with this then is we ask the employer to look at that document in a, in a traffic light document. So they, we ask them to highlight in green what they can action within three months, in orange what they can action by the end of the year, and in red what they can action maybe next year. And really what it, it, it does, it, it concentrates what where they can actually increase their overall score within a three-month period. So it, it like uh, most uh, certifications, there's a... a, a gold, silver and bronze category on it. So, so what we're finding in an Irish context, we're finding a lot of employers are ending in a, in a, in a mid-range silver score. 
Mm. And uh, with that uh, traffic light document, then they can actually go back in, look at the areas that they can increase their overall score and maybe increase to a higher higher silver score or indeed go up into a, a gold uh, certification. And to put it in, get down brass tacks or I suppose... Um you know, practical things. What does, uh, you know, an employer can say, yeah, I'm, I, I'd like to see people cycling into work. Yeah, that's grand. But physically, what can they do to make it easier for people? Well, you know, we're finding, yeah, the the straight up uh, sort of facilities are really key. You know, bike so racks, bike racks storage. Yeah, parking, storage, uh, lockers, uh, you know, a secure uh, area for bikes, you know, CCTV if, if it's outside in, in a, an open site. Um, and you're also looking for, you know, wh- what they're going to do during the year. So a lot of employers will, will uh, we encourage them to look at a cycle engagement calendar. So it's actually plotted out for a 12 month period. So they look at this uh, on a on a 12 month window. And in that they look at, you know, uh, maybe uh, cycle uh, cycle events that will happen on site, such as bringing in a mobile bike mechanic maybe two or three times a year. And you can actually plan that, you know, at the start of the season when people are thinking about getting the bike out. So it, it actually activates it very quickly. And then you also you have uh, on-site bike demonstration days, which work really well, where people, you know, a uh, supplier will come along uh, and it could be just an e-bike demonstration day. So it gives employers, uh, you know, a chance to go down uh, at the workplace, ask all the questions, trial a bike out, see what it's like. So Because these, a lot of bikes, in particular in the, the e-bike uh, space, they have different size batteries, you know, 300, 400, 500. So... It's it it and each of those d- deal with uh, different ranges for the bike. So it's important for employers, uh, employees to understand, uh, you know what uh, what they're going to invest in. So these cycle related initiatives, these are only two I've given you, but many of them can actually look at uh, running uh, different initiatives over a twelve month period. So the cycling engagement calendar is really important. Yeah. So you're launching this on your bike uh, campaign with Minister Malcolm Noonan on uh, Monday. Kilkenny uh, Chamber, a key partner. What should people do if their interest is peaked and they want to? find out more yeah well our website is cyclingsolutionsireland.ie uh, and you on that site you'll see the self-evaluation but also we have we've uh, you know uh, short uh, interviews with employers who've experienced it so we have some you know we've facilities people from department of transport we've uh, work air and we've uh, consultant engineers dbfl up in Normand key uh, have given their insights to their experience so everything is there you know the, the contents there the 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 self-evaluation can be done there and uh, yeah i'd encourage everyone to go to the self-evaluation complete that get a summary report and get the conversation going and get on your bike well look michael thanks for joining us in the studio uh, we'll follow the progress of uh, this cycle friendly city campaign and do what we can to get the message across to local business Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. KCLR indeed is just coming up to 24 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Now we're going to be taking a summer break uh, from this week on the programme. And before we do so, I thought it'd be a good idea to catch up with Brian O'Farrell, Chief Executive of County Carlow Chamber, just to see how things are. And we chatted a bit about the points Jim Perrow was making about the challenges of uh, inflation and energy prices and all that sort of stuff. Uh, facing all businesses across Carlow and Kilkenny and around the country, Indeed, all uh, arising out of the post-COVID situation, supply chains and the war in Ukraine and so on. But but Brian felt that resilience was uh, a good and encouraging feature of local business. Very resilient. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it really comes back down to the fact that 
uh, we saw that over the last number of years, business communities and communities in general, they all just came together. Everybody worked together, supported each other, you know, and we fought through everything together. It wasn't uh, a case of any one person or business left on their own. And that was the big factor uh, that was a drive behind this. And, uh, you know, even as we see the way the economy is going at the moment, you know, working together is the best way forward. You know, the government will look at different measures than that. You know, and, and we can't have a case of a new measure for every week. That's not going to work either. Um, you know, and we can't wait until the budget comes around for, you know, a raft of new measures. Mm. Uh, but working together, we, we can see what we can do. And yeah, uh, as a chamber, we're continuing to lobby ministers and government, you know, for uh, different measures and supports for, to help support businesses and communities as well. Yeah, and while uh, COVID hasn't gone away, it's good to see that things uh, are getting back to normal. And, and I was delighted to be at a somewhat socially distanced uh, Carlo Business Awards last year. With uh, We did it myself and Emer and Brian uh, Redmond. We did it across three different venues. But you're back to, uh, back to basics, I suppose, this year and, and looking ahead to a fantastic night in the Visual Centre for Contemporary Art and the George Bernard Shaw Theatre coming up on the 29th of September. You had a great launch in Rathwood at the end of June uh, full steam ahead and you're looking for nominations yeah no um, it is uh, back to I suppose getting uh, everybody into one setting um, which is quite a, a good venue in that and again we're looking to try and keep a certain degree of uniqueness last year was really unique with having the three venues and knitting together so well with having the uh, three MCs you know yourselves and that there which really kind of helped to make it on the night um, but yeah, we had a fun lunch in Ratwood. Everybody came out and they're laughing. Um, nominations are open at the moment across 24 different categories, John. Um, and we've got some of the, I suppose, the standard staple categories there that we've seen for a number of years. And even some of the ones we introduced kind of last year with business support and community, community ward. But also we're delighted to have categories back there that were parked because of COVID, like Best License Premises. Um, Culture Tourism Award is there. There's a new award in there for craft and design as well. Um, and then, of course, um, the emerging business. And, uh, you know, there's some new businesses that have set up within the last three years, having that category back in there because there was a slight stagnation in some of that with COVID as well. And, mm. of course, then we're into Outstanding Small Business of the Year, Business of the Year, family business of the year so there's quite a wide range of categories available and of course your your venue for your launch Rathwood they scooped the top prize uh, last year a fantastic local business Uh, it is and truly I think a lot of people they probably still think of Rathwood just as a garden centre and where it initially started it's pivoted so much over the years um, and it was it was great fun up there at the launch night I know uh, I, I was up to myself and uh, had the two boys me and we'd encourage people to bring kids and the number had and we had adults and kids riding on a Dumbo ride and going off on the train then for a magic show down the big top tent you know it's, it's fabulous to see mm. what they've done with the venue and the space Yeah you, but you it, mentioned pivot there haven't heard that one in a while but um, a lot of pivoting will be awarded and a lot of pivoting has continued it wasn't just a, a temporary thing many businesses have kind of used the challenge of COVID to kind of develop and grow They have and uh, really kind of expanded into a lot of new areas that you know but even consumers have uh, changed and pivoted themselves in how they look at business and 
you know, what they're looking for and how to connect with businesses. Uh, we've seen a lot of strengthening in, uh, you know, online connectivity. But at the same time, uh, despite that, people still relish and want that person-to-person interaction. And, and that's uh, really quite important as well. Yeah, you know, and it was interesting during COVID, you know, there was a lot of talk about everything going online and businesses just working, all working remotely. But there's there's a need for the old-fashioned hum- human contact and offices and so on. Working in an office adds an awful lot to creativity and bonding and teamwork and all that. Yeah, no, it, it does. And um, do you know what? You, you'll never replicate I suppose human interaction 100% by moving it to online mm. um, you know it has a very important role to play and I suppose if you look at the amount of work we do in online and online channels nowadays you'd wonder how you know we operated in that way going back a couple of years ago mm. um, but definitely you know uh, you can never replicate 100% that person to person contact Okay, so tell us briefly uh, if someone's interested in throwing their business hat into the ring for the nominations for the Carlo Business Awards, what should they do? Um, yeah, so the uh, easiest thing to do is go straight on to carlochamber.com. Uh, you'll see there as you log on to the website, the front page, there's a big red button, which is Carlo Business Awards 2022. You go into that and you can see all the categories, all 24 categories are listed there. And uh, there's a button for to nominate now. Nominate mm. now only takes literally 30 seconds. Uh, it's getting the nomination in there. And we always say to businesses, yeah, you can go in and self-nominate. But also, if there's a supplier, if there's a customer, mm. if there's uh, you know a coffee shop that you go into, you go, Joe, what they give fabulous service. Yeah. I want to recognise them. I want to say thank you. Pop in and do that as well. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, and, and we and we say to the public, you know, if there's a business that you go into and you think, you know what, this guy really deserves it. Because I think that's one of the magic uh, pieces of the awards every year. And I'm lucky enough to kind of see that every year when we send out notifications of nominations and the amount of businesses that they don't aware, uh, they're not aware that a nomination has come through for them until they receive that notification from us. And it's yeah. like, it means so much um, and again it's just coming back down to that saying thank you saying thank you very important and if you know of any business you'd like to nominate for the Carlow Business Awards run by County Carlow Chamber get on the Carlow Chamber website and you can nominate now I don't normally play music on this programme unless usually that something goes amiss but I'm going to make an exception given the weekend that's in it and play a small uh, bit of something that will bring us back to the last time Limerick and Kilkenny faced each other in Crow Park in an All-Ireland final uh, have a listen to a bit of this and then I'm going to be talking to uh, David Dowling a member of a long line of hurley makers in Kilkenny or should I say hurl makers uh, but we can discuss that with David in just a minute or two Stevens, the half-back line of Tommy Wells from the road, Ryan Hogan on Upland Gales, and JJ Delaney from the Phoenix. 
midfield pairing of Derek Ling of Emeralds and James Charles Patrick from Ballyhale Shamrock. The half forward line is Eddie Brennan, Greg Valley Pallet, Henry Shepman, Ballyhale Shamrock. Owen Larkin is a player. Willie O'Brien from one of the ballot 13. Martin Cummins for the Lachlan Gales 14. And Aiden Fogarty 15. Yes, indeed, Henry Shefflin, the captain from Ballyhale, of course, captain Ballyhale to win the county final, win the All-Ireland final, and he's got the first score. Kilkenny on the attack again, Owen Larkin sends one in, left-handed strike, two points, Kilkenny! Free into Kilkenny from just inside the 65 metre line. Kilkenny playing into Canal End. Lit for no breeze. Sideline foot, I should say. The sideline foot's been taken by James Schaff. It's Patrick well gathered. Here comes Eddie Brennan. Turns back inside. Brennan with the shot. Oh, yes! Oh, I could listen to that, but unfortunately, uh, we've got to go. Hopefully, that's a portent of things to come. Uh, joining me on the line is David Dowd, a man who makes his living from all things associated uh, with hurling. He runs the Star Hurley. Uh, David, do you remember that match? I do, I do. I was at it, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. <laughs> Great to hear all those names, um, kind of blasts from the past, uh, Owen Larkin, Eddie Brennan and so on, but new stars uh, on the scene this year and just tell us a bit about your business almost 50 years in uh, 50 years in operation 60 years I should say, next year 60 years next year yeah, yeah. my uh, grandfather would have started the business in 1963 um, so we're going ever since um, we were in Patrick Street up until 2020 and we moved out here to Jenkinstown then yeah, and following on, uh, uh, your, your family first uh, got involved with uh, making hurls nearly 120 years ago. Your great-grandfather was the man that kind of got the ash and started fashioning it. Yeah, my great-grandfather would be Tom Tom Nary, as people that know him. Tom Neary. I was informed a few years ago, it's Neary. Yeah. My grandmother would give me a clip, clip on the ear. Yeah, there's a lot of different pronunciations. This is Neary, Nary, Hurl, Hurley. Uh, contentious enough, eh, the language. It is, it is, it is, yeah, yeah. So my, my grandmother is, is uh, Neary from Kilkenny City, and um, her father would have started making hurls in the 19... Or, well, I read maybe around 1908, he made his first few hurls and any kind of stuff of business in the 1910s. Yeah. Um, and my grandfather would have probably learned how to make hurls from from Tom Neary. He would have worked in there. And they were a lot different um, looking back then, the hurls, weren't they? You've probably got some samples going back over the years. Like, they've really changed. Talk to us about that. Yeah, we have a hurl here that um, Mick Neary would have made, and it's a copy of, um, he made it for Mick Lawler. Mick Lawler's my father-in-law, he would have hurled with Kenny in the 1960s, and he asked Mick Neary to make him a hurl, a copy of Paddy Larkin's hurl from the 1930s. So we actually have that here. Wow. And how's it different um, from the hurls? I suppose the boss is the main thing, is it? Boss is different, and I suppose if you think of like a shinty stick, the way it comes around at the heel, um, that's kind of the type of hurl it was, whereas the hurls now they're probably bigger heels bigger bosses um, they look slimmer down the handle because the boss is so big um, so yeah what like what was a goalie hurl back in the 90s is probably your outfit hurl now go away yeah because remember yeah. Noel's skin back in the day people used to be marvelling at the size of the boss on his hurl that's kind of more becoming you know the norm that's your normal hurl now yeah yeah and you'd even see I suppose bosses in Kilkenny are probably average size. Maybe down in Cork, you'd see bigger bosses being used, like Patrick Corrigan, the boss he used. Looks like a goalie hurl. Yeah. So it's, but they are, yeah, they're getting bigger. Um, I don't know if there's a benefit to it. You know, I don't know. The ball, the ball has probably got 
lighter, you know, there's, mm. a, there's always a discussion about the hurl and the ball. And yeah, the, they say the, the ball is a bit lighter now. What about the weight of the hurls? Um, is that a standard thing or do you get them in different weights? And uh, Can you make a hurl heavier or make it lighter? Yeah, so every piece of timber you use, is, the weight is different. Right. Um, so there's no, say, consistent weight, which, which is a good thing, I suppose. Um, just even looking at the weekend, TJ Reid's hurl would be about 650 grams. Right. So everyone kind of weighs their hurls now, and so which is not a bad thing for us. We can get the weight. You still have to find the balance of the hurl. Yeah. But um, yeah, his would be six fifty, which would be probably one of the heaviest hurl maybe used on the panel for right. hurlers. And then Parig Welsh then it used a hurl that's maybe five hundred grams, which is extremely extremely light. Yeah. So for us having the different weights and different pieces of timber suits because obviously the piece of timber to make TJ's hurl wouldn't work for Parig's hurling. Yeah, very interesting. Well, look, um, David, we're going to take a break and we'll be back to chat more uh, with you after the break. I'm speaking to David Dowling of the Star Hurley, who I believe um, you you supply hurls to a huge proportion of the Kilkenny panel, David. We do, yeah. Um, someone said the other day there's maybe 40 on the panel, so we probably do the hurls for maybe 35 of those 40. Wow. Wow, fantastic. Okay, well, don't go away. Uh, we're talking to David Dowling. Of course, the big match on tomorrow in uh, Crow... Um, not tomorrow. Well, there's a big match on tomorrow. Uh, all right, a couple of big matches on tomorrow. But uh, it's... Uh, oh, it is tomorrow. I'm getting I'm getting completely confused now between looking at New Zealand time and uh, so on. It is tomorrow. Today is Saturday. It's Saturday. The uh, I can't even remember... <laughs> the date uh, at the moment look we're going to take a break and we'll be back to talk to David a bit more someone texted me there probably tell me what day of the week it is The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. KCLR your official All-Ireland station Casey Law indeed and uh, before we turn our attention back to the All-Ireland tomorrow versus Limerick we're going to Wellington where get this Ireland 32 22 so they've stretched their lead uh, there was a f- couple of sweaty minutes where uh, New Zealand were within three points of Ireland and Ireland had a sin binning but we're going back to uh, talk of the real big match of the weekend Limerick All-Ireland champions versus Kilkenny I'm joined on the line by David Dowling uh, David we were talking before the break about different weights of Hurleys and you were talking about TJ Reid and Padraig Walsh I said Hurleys I meant Hurls apologies and um, uh, you know, different. It must be kind of challenging, but if you're experienced like you are, to to pick wood and get the different weights and so on, a very personal thing for a skilled hurler. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's very personal. It's like um, I often compare it to you know golfers and their golf clubs, and they're told what works for them. Like with hurls as well, it's the same. Everyone has their own hurl, mm. um, their own weight, their own like. Some people like the handle to be thick on it. Some people like it to be kind of a narrower handle. Uh, some people like a thick heel. You know, it, it's very, um, it's very personal. I think Auntie Daly said it before. It's, it's like an extension of your arm, your hurl. Mm. And so you must so, get a lot of these hurlers fairly well, and and kind of have real detailed discussions with them, would you? You would, yeah, yeah. Like there's times where um, you know someone might come in to get two hurls. You could, you could spend forty five minutes to an hour with them. Uh, Kind of making the hurl bit by bit, you know. You're, you're, you know. It's it's very, it's 
very kind of everything is done to a fine detail really mm. and would any of them have um, kind of different weights of hurdles for different parts of the match or different you know they, they wouldn't change a hurdle for taking a free they did the whole thing but will we ever see that day coming do you think uh, I remember Tommy Welsh at one stage was changing his hurdle for side lengths right um, he was using something with a ticker heel um, um, for a while now he abandoned it after a while but yeah he was um you, I don't think I don't think you will. Um, what you see maybe is, we'll say TJ's hurl that he'll use tomorrow. He he won't use that week to week. He'll he'll hold that for matches. He might just practice freeze with it. Right. Training, he actually when he was here yesterday, he just said to me, maybe his first four hurls that he'll bring to the match, he won't use in training because he he doesn't want to break. Right. Yeah. So he'll use other hurls that he'll have. For training, and how many would somebody like TJ not wanting to break any confidences? I'm sure you have a highly confidential uh, relationship with all the top guys. But I mean, how many um, hurdles would they have typically? Oh, sure. I don't know. Over the years, I'm sure they accumulate a lot of hurdles. But um, you know, I'd say in a given year, like TJ might get maybe eight to ten wow. hurdles in the year. Yeah. Um, and probably thinking certain hurls he'll pick up and he'll um, you know he'll say right you know this one is perfect for me I'll, I'll keep that for a match I'll use this one in training you know that kind mm. of way now like um, hurling has changed the bosses have changed uh, you know the game has changed somewhat we have Brian Cody going on you know talking here uh, with Robbie Dowling during the week about how you know the game has changed over his time in charge your business has changed as well you're online now and, and delivering hurls all over the world yeah, yeah, it's changed. Yeah, we've probably gone online maybe in the last two years or so. Um, so we would have always kind of sent hurls around the world, but it was more kind of the only way we were contactable really was to call in or, you know, phone by by landline really, where mm. the online thing I suppose has opened it up. Oh, sure, we're sending hurls everywhere really now. You know, hurling, it, it really is global. Um, yeah. You know, it's gone massive in America. Fantastic. Yeah, well, we'll have people listening to Brendan Hennessy's uh, and Mickey Welch's commentary tomorrow uh, from all over the world, and then maybe uh, we can let them know that they can log on to starhurley.ie and get a slice of Kilkenny sent anywhere to them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And with with the online, what we try to do is offer people um, kind of a similar experience to what they get from into the workshop. So they can order their different styles of hurls and you know, sizes, weights, wow. and then there's a comment box where they can tell us exactly what they want, and we we try to make the hurls. You know, the more information we get, really, the better because yeah. you know it uh, makes it easier for us to make the hurl that they want. You're, you're kind of trying to ensure that customers happy all the time. So. Absolutely. Well, it is a business at the back of it, and, and glad to hear it's going well. Uh, you've got six people in your workshop out in Jenkinstown, and a few more in the office, and so on. Well, David, pleasure talking to you, and. Uh, best of luck and we look forward to hearing the clash of the ash uh, tomorrow with loads of star hurleys yeah thanks John thank you great talking to you and that brings us to a close this week on the bottom line and indeed we're going to be taking a bit of a break we'll be back to you in September in the meantime you can listen back to any of the episodes if you're bored over the summer we are on uh, Spotify the Apple Store Google Play or whatever just tune in thanks to all our guests this week Jim Perra Michael O'Boyle Brian O'Fra and David Dowling thanks to Edwina Grace for the Black and Amber News and best of luck to Brian Cody and the Kilkenny team against Limerick tomorrow if you're going to 
to the match travel safely and have a great day and don't forget to call in and see Davy Cashin and the team in the Academy Plaza on your way to the match uh, we've got lots more all over this weekend including uh, the round four of the JJ Kavanagh Senior Hurling Championship in Carlow. Do stay tuned to Casey Law. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks most of all to you for listening. As I said, we're taking a break. So until we speak again, take care, stay tuned to Casey Law and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie.